<laughs> West Side Stories, we're calling the podcasts behind the scenes of West Side, the um, second series, which is on this week, another director. But a special one because Michael Hurst is very well known to um, on our TV screens, film, and you know theatre. Especially, mm-hmm. I think it'd be your first love, wouldn't it? That's what yeah. they usually they say. Theatre for me is um, where I uh, live properly. Where I I always go back to it. Um, I have to do it at least once a year, e- either be on stage. Well, in fact, I do have to do be on stage. I need that outlet. It's like a bit of a drug, really. And I've got a one-man show so that if no one employs me in the theatres, I just go out and do that. <laughs> Where do you do that? Oh, I do it everywhere. I've just uh, Recently, I just did it in Tauranga for a festival okay. there. I'm about to go to Waiheke for four days in September, and um, I ta- I've taken it everywhere, Edinburgh. Um, I've taken it to Australia. I've had it in my, in my little ditty bag for about five years now, and okay. it grows and develops. And um, I love it. It's it's something I, I can. It all the entire set, everything about it fits into my little Corolla, so I can turn up and just do it. Oh, far out! And I love that. Old school is a good school. Is it, is it mm. like um, to go around schools? Um, I don't, but I could with it if I made yeah. that effort. It's it, they love it. High school students love the show when they come and see it. So um, I could do that. But What's it called? Uh, it's called No Holds Barred. Okay. Spelt B A R D I E Shakespeare. So, oh. so it's not. But it's not what you think. It's not. Um, oh, this is Shakespeare. It's actually pretty wild. I mean, mm. my Macbeth is a drunken. Scotsman who would rather play Hamlet and hates uh, Hamlet. I hate you, Hamlet. Oh, right. So um, it's I wrote it, and Shakespeare wrote some of it, and I wrote the rest of it. And he was good to work with because he doesn't say anything. As he's dead. An actor is what um, <laughs> you've done most most of your life. It is a major part of your career. Mm-hmm. But directing, I, I am fascinated about the um, challenges or how different it is uh, from being an actor to being a director. Mm. Okay, it's the same industry, mm. but not every football player makes a good coach. No, you know, quite that right. sort of thing. There are yeah. not many player managers out there. Mm. What, what did you have to learn? Um, look, in some ways, I think directing is common sense, but we all know that common sense isn't actually that common. Um, because... I could see when I was doing plays, I could look at the way they worked. I'm quite good visually, so I I asked if I could direct some plays, and there it was. I could do it. When I was doing Hercules in the 90s, I looked around, and I went, wow, I could do this. Mm -hmm. So I asked, and they gave me uh, some episodes, and... I made a good job, so I got more and more. You would have had to have, an em- have a, a mentor to take you along a bit, or just say, off uh, you go direct? Uh, kind of. The team, we were two years into Hercules before I directed anything, and the camera crew, especially the DOP, um, they were, John Mahaffey, his name was, um, they looked after me in the first one I did, in, in that what I had to learn was that what I see with my eye cannot be replicated. Lenses can only do what they do. A lens on a camera can't do what our eyes do, which is see everything. They can only see in a specific way. 
and sometimes struggling with, yeah, but I want to see this in the foreground at the same time as that in the distance. And they would say, well, no, that's a physical impossibility, unless we get a split-field diopter, which I now know what it is. Um, so I had to learn a bit of that, the language of the lenses. But what I did understand was that the camera is like another character. Oh, yeah. And because I'm an actor first, I was able to, I think what I do is I'm able to let the camera be a responder, if you like, yeah. to um, what's going on in front of it. And also, I love watching what actors do, what happens behind their eyes. So when I look at a close-up, I don't see it as a close-up. I see it as a landscape. And I'm in love with close-ups. In fact, the closer the better. But but for TV, you got to be careful because it can overwhelm people. So, yeah. you know, but, but um, in terms of... Um, uh, composition, uh, because I've done a lot of theatre work, um, I see each shot as a little play, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I can, I like composing. The frame that a camera gives you is actually like a proscenium arch in some ways. And so everything, everything you put into that frame is put there deliberately. Mm. And so it has uh, meaning. Mm. And, you know, so with Westside, what was wonderful about about it was because it's set in 1981 so you got Rita and Ted but they're living in a house that um, actually is full of things from the 60s still because yeah. when you were you know, a young person in 1981 your parents or grandparents lived in houses that were furnished you know, 10, 20 years earlier yeah. so the aesthetic, the visual aesthetic was stunning because of those beautiful lines those lovely horizontal lines just in a room a, a cabinet and then you know and the walls and you make these beautiful perspectives because everything's horizontal yeah. you know that's that's how it works yeah. so i i loved that you know um you weren't involved with outrageous fortune did you no. have to um do a bit of homework hit the ground running how, how was that with doing something which is you know in, intrinsically connected do you want the honest answer? Yeah, yeah. I did zero homework. Okay. I didn't... I never watched Outrageous Fortune. I think I watched one episode in the entire series. It's not because I didn't like it. I just never was interested. And um, I watched one episode of the first season of Westside and then just got busy. I have to qualify that by saying I actually don't watch much television anyway yeah. because I make it. So um, I kind of know what I've made. And it's not brain surgery. Um, you know, the scripts are so brilliant, the visual aesthetic is so brilliant, the designers are doing it all, that I just make what's in front of me. And my personal ethic is I'm very loath to examine how I do what I do or what it is that I do, because I think that would... I, I don't really know what I do, to be honest. I do know, I do it, and my only gauge is if I like it. It's the story of a director. If I like it, then I'm... What else can I measure it against? If I'm going, ooh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, there's one thing... Then people have to buy into that or they don't. One thing that's probably important to measure it against, and that is the other episodes directed by other people. Is there a um, kind of like a, a format for pace and style no. that you have to keep to? No. Really? Not, not as far as I'm concerned. No, I go in and no, I don't believe so. I wouldn't know about the other directors, but I'm I just know that you you go in and and you you know, I edit it. The editors are really brilliant. I mean, these guys Okay, it's fast turnaround television. So we we do these episodes in quite a short time. We have big days, lots of scenes to shoot. Mm. Um we we really go fast. 
and intensely. And then the editor, by the time I get into the editing suite, he's already assembled it. Mm. So I'm sitting there looking, and that what I do, my rule is, at the end of a day, I'm not going to go home and watch my rushes because I'm full of the thing and I need a life. So I leave work at work and I never take the scripts home. I do it all at work. That's what work is. And so um, it doesn't mean to say that I don't, I'm not creative in my personal time. If I'm doing a play or a role or something, yeah, things might pop up. Or I might have an idea about, say, West Side or 800 Words or whatever it is when I'm at um, home. But generally, I'm not thinking about that because I'm doing other things. And um, so I kind of do what's in front of me. And again, I want to say, um, producer has final cut. So they have an overall view of this. And if things are going awry, they'll step in and fix it and they'll reshoot. However, if they are fixing it to the extent that they're changing what you do so much, you weren't on the same page in the first place. And so the thing is, I understand that. I talk to the producers. I know what they want. If there's anything particular they want me to not do, um, like mega close-ups or anything particular they want me to do, I'll take that on board and then I'll do it. But again, I'm a... Um, another thing is if I'm whatever it is I'm doing a play or a TV show or whatever if they say oh you need to look at this because it's in the same vein I go actually no because I want to do what I do Mm. and I don't want to be ever accused of copying or paying homage to, to things if that happens great I can hand on heart say well I didn't do that I didn't see that so it's me Mm. because like I said, I can only gauge what I do by whether I like it. It's yeah. the only litmus I have and whether the producers like it, which they do at the moment. So that's good. You're probably the most experienced actor on the set. That's an advantage uh, in communicating in, with the actors? If by experienced you mean oldest, you're probably no, no, right. No, no, no. no well, actually, but, I, but the thing is, I'm not necessarily the most experienced actor because, especially for television, you look at Antonia Preble, yeah. she's done... Hands down, apart from, yes, I did Hercules for eight years, <laughs> but nevertheless, and we made 120 episodes, yes, but <laughs> um, it's it was one thing, you know, I okay. mean, someone like Antonia has done a lot of TV roles in a lot of different ways, and styles have changed, and, you know, in terms of drama, like mm. real heavy drama, mm. I've done very little television acting, very little film acting, in fact, so in some ways I'm not the most experienced, but what I am experience that is talking to actors in a way they understand now I say this to students of theatre a lot they all get into their Stanislavski and their their, you know all of that improvisational stuff well my thing is great do that on your own time when we come to rehearsal we're here to do the script and to rehearse Mm. I'm not your teacher or your nurse and I'm not going to go ooh, let's play a game now. I'm expecting you to turn up being able to do it. And so the best notes I give actors in theatre anyway, I say to them all the time, the best notes you'll get from me, the most meaningful notes, will probably be, hurry up, can't hear you, get off quickly. Learn your lines? Oh, learn your lines comes, if you don't know your lines, that's the point, that's like a hammer, a a carpenter not being able to use a hammer. Okay. Um, So with the TV and with Westside in particular, I, I just love being able to say, for example... Um, I'll give you an example. I'm trying to think. Well, if saying to an actor, I really like the tears, but you don't need them on this shot because I won't be able to see them. So if you want to do them, wait till I do this shot. And, you know, and being practical about it. Yeah. So they realize that, that another one was um, 
uh, it was actually step day of one of the actors overloaded with lines and it was it was the last few days and they were getting all the extra scenes and everything and this actor said to me um, I can't I just got so many lines in my head I, I I feel like I can't do the whole scene and I said well that's fine we can break it up into pieces because you know what when we stick it together at the end everybody thinks it's happening in real time mm. oh but I don't want to waste anybody's time by not knowing the whole scene to which I responded what would waste our time is if you're upset about this, it was a woman, and now I have to go to makeup and be rebuilt, and that's going to take 45 minutes. That would be wasting my time. But only being able to remember half the lines because you're overloaded, so we'll shoot that, you take a breath, and then we'll do the next bit, is a good thing. We're all in this together, aren't we? That's a team, it's a team sport. So, you know, it's quite interesting, the, the, the kind of uh, yeah. uh, politics of it all. Okay. Um, <coughs> the episode four, mm. full of that archive footage. Yeah, it's it's almost breaking. Not the, that much actually, but there is some. It's yeah, yeah. The, it's there. It's almost breaking the magic, isn't it? It's like, oh, hello, this is real life. And, yeah, and and connecting the yeah. two. Well, we're talking about the um the the actors getting the characters getting onto the the Hamilton rugby field and stopping the game in 1981. Springbok tour. Yeah, yeah, Springbok tour. Well, interesting about that because I knew I read the script and I went, oh, that's great, and then I realize oh well we're not going to go into Hamilton I can I know that and we won't have thousands of extras but we looked at the footage TV and Z have extraordinary footage of that event because they were lined up to film a rugby match there was no match so there are all these cameras looking at the bloody thing and um and then there was that uh, fantastic documentary Patu mm. so I looked at both of those and what was interesting the common thing that I that I uh, lighted upon was at one point, when those um, demonstrators get into the middle of the field, mm. someone drops a smoke bomb, and it's orange, bright orange. And you you can see it in the TVNZ footage. It's hardly, it's just a little bit in the corner, but it's very eye-catching. In the Patu documentary, someone was actually on the field with a handheld camera just where that smoke bomb went off. So all the smoke went up around the camera, and I went, great, orange smoke. And if you look at it, it's probably um, destroying the illusion here, but if you look at it, we just let off a big orange smoke bomb in an in a, in a empty rugby field in Henderson. And I just put people through that. And, you know, and by keeping just basic tricks, by keeping the angle just under the eye line of the camera, you can't see more than two people beyond. Right. As soon as you get even, you know, even a few centimetres above someone's head, the distance becomes really problematic if you right. haven't got hundreds of people. So we just kept it low and active. And um, How many people did you have together at once? A hundred, including the actors. So we had a hundred, including the actors, and people dressed as police, and we divided them into um, protesters and anti, uh, anti-protest people. Uh, and then we used the same people with different coats on <laughs> to be the, in the streets, which were also shot just out by the Henderson Rugby Ground or whatever okay. it is. Um, so we managed to create, and that's, of course, the magic. You create this illusion out of very little. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did a lot of work on Spartacus directing those, and often we would do the same thing using green screens. More elaborate and more expensive, but still, you're only using about 50 people, and you're making it look like thousands. Yeah, okay. Mm. It's, it's not, not s- actually as mysterious as you think. It's, it's <laughs> not, not the Cecil B. DeMille approach. 
<laughs> no, but then who can do the Cecil B. DeMille approach these days? We, yeah. You know, if you watch, it wasn't Cecil B. DeMille. It was dead. Watch William Wyler's Ben-Hur in 1956 or 57, and there's an amazing shot in that where Jesus, because um, he's in it, um, you never see his face though, um, walks out of his carpentry shop, and the camera just tracks him out, walks outside, and then all it does is rise up maybe two or three metres, that's all, so that you can see the Roman soldiers coming in. But they're coming in six different ways, mm. and you can see for miles, and they're real. They're know. real people, and right. that is the difference. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a shot where the protest, the older uh, protest organiser guy yeah. gets a can in the head. Oh, yeah. How many shots did you have to get, to, or, was, or did you get a cricketer to... One. Bullsh. It was one, yeah. It was one, and it was a soft foam can. It was one. We got it in one. Oh, good. Look, mostly, uh, this is interesting, this... Uh, Who was doing the throwing? Uh, one of the design department, one of the art department, just oh, off, wow. off camera. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, you know, we, we kind of... You know, we prepare. Got Chris Harrison on off day. No, no, no. It was like it was. He had a big head. No, we prepare. <laughs> we prepare for um, you know, those contingencies. But I'm always, I always think you'll get it in one. And if you don't, oh well, you didn't. But I never go. Oh, it's going to take us six or seven. Again, I just want to stress: this is fast turnaround television. Yeah, you okay. can't do it. You you have to be really clear about what you're doing. It's a great discipline. Even just making the day for me. Um, what I mean is getting everything done in the time allowed mm. is a creative thing. If you look at it as a battle, oh, I hate the schedule, I've got to beat the schedule, you, it's just going to be harder. Whereas if you go, wow, I've only yeah. got this much to get all of this. Okay, how, how amazing can I be to achieve this? How can, we, how can we be clever? You know, To me, I find that actually almost as exciting as working with the actors I've mm. got to be honest you know it's what mm. were you doing in 1981 I was protesting against the tour in 1981 I was with the artists against apartheid we toured around a whole bunch of venues singing protest songs they were brilliant actually they were two two uh, catchy tunes my favorite was um you know the batons they had were called PR24s and there's a f- song called um um button up your overcoat button up your overcoat well, we would go, a batten up your overcoat makes you feel real cool, PR24. It's a useful tool. Hide behind your rubbish bins, paint your battens white, PR24. Keeping Africa white, we would do all that sort of stuff. But then on the day that um, they had the game at Eden Park with the famous the aeroplane, the, yeah. uh, the flower bombs and the cars being turned over, I was right in amongst all of that. Went to a few meetings out at Huia to plan disruption. And, um, yeah, I was totally against the tour, you know. One of the most enduring images from that, because it's, uh, I'm mentioning this because you're using footage from that time mm. of the um, invasion and the stopping of the game in, in, in Hamilton, Hamilton. Yeah, is that you can see uh, CK Stead was yeah. in the front of the line. Yeah, he's just such a distinct. He's yeah. one of our most famous authors and yeah. poets and critics, uh, podcast <laughs> listeners, and he looks like Sam the Eagle. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. <laughs> There was an amazing find... number of people involved. I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of artists. I mean, the AAA, Artists Against Apartheid, we had so many people involved, you know. Yeah. Real, um, it was it was a, it was was a kind of exciting time. It was a, bit, a dangerous time, I, we felt, um, because they were battens. And I did do the, a couple of times, I did do the uh, phone box, uh, phone books up my jersey and mm. crash helmet stuff. Um, Those special times, weren't they? Yeah, the country went through a whole lot, and and um, 
and I think, yeah, finally that was the beginning of the end for Muldoon, which was mm. the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Does that make it interesting at all that it's, it is in that time, you know, what, what you're filming? Or are you just too busy, damn, working, getting the shots right? Oh, no. I, I, it's, it's, um, it's what I said to you before. The whole aesthetic of that period of time uh, is fascinating to look back on. You know, when I was younger, you'd look back at movies made in the 50s or the 40s and go, wow, weren't they strange times? But now I look back and I lived in those times and I go, wow, did we really look like that? Yeah. Did we really? And we did, you know, but the thing is we did. It's a very different um, view to when I was young. And no, I, I um, but again, as I say, it is about getting on with the job. You know, you've with um, this kind of work, you have to see what's in front of you. You plan for it, of course. The planning is everything. But once that's done, you just got to... And actually, structure gives you freedom. So the main thing with me is I always make sure I have that plan because then you've got something to change. If the actor goes, I don't want to do this or I feel this, if you've got something solid, it's easy to go, oh, yeah, we can do that. If you've got nothing, if a director walks onto a set and goes, hmm... What should we do here? No idea. You're no sunk. Idea. <laughs> you know, you are sunk. Yeah. So, you know, and none of, uh, none of the, let me just hasten to add, none of the directors on West Side or that I work with at South Pacific um, Television are like that. They're planned up to the eyeballs. That's what we do. You know, mm. that's that's the main thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Not one asking you to play favourites with actors, no, right. but have you a favourite character that you worked with in the, what, four episodes that you... In West Side? Um, yeah. Well, you know, I just, I love Rita because I just like what Antonia does with it. And I saw, a, someone showed me a photo the other day in a world of Kardashians, be a Rita. Did you see that? That's nice. And it's so good because she's so ballsy and all of that. But um, um, the young wolf, the actor who plays young wolf is uh, amazing. He was a just a discovery, I thought. And he, it was like you, it was like, it's like if you're painting a watercolor and you put a brush on it and it changes, that's what he was like. I'd say, let's, he should be, maybe we should talk about how angry he is and then suddenly this would happen. You know, he was fantastic, you know, young. I think he'd go far, really, you know, he, he was impressive. Any extra little extra for experts you'd like to mention? Doesn't have to be, but if there is, I'd like to know. Is that for episode four, which we've just watched, or might go back and have a look at something? Um, oh, you no. haven't watched it. Uh, well, I haven't seen it since I edited it. That's true. That's true. I haven't seen it since I. <laughs> isn't it terrible? I haven't. Uh, you know, we had eight hundred words on the other night. My episodes of eight hundred words are screening, and I haven't seen them either since I edited them. Well, you did them. Yeah. Well, I did. Well, yeah. kind of, I did them, and it's not that I don't want to see them in situ. It's just that, well, I was busy doing something else, <laughs> you know, Fair at enough. the time. So, you know, and I can we we've got them recorded, but. And I, I probably will look at them to see how they look dressed up with commercials and all of that. Because, of course, we never see that. We just see the raw mm. thing, you know. And, um, in fact, I don't really see them graded particularly because in this kind of work, fast turnaround television, grading gets taken. A producer has final cut. Grading gets taken by other people. If I was doing a feature or owning something completely, it's a different deal. Okay. I'm about to do a short film, which I am working with, uh, some uh, writer and I have the final cut so that's different I now have to be it's mine yeah. and that's a much different uh, a different prospect 
Oh, uh, thanks so much, Michael Hurst, oh, directing the last episode. That was number uh, or the three and four, the last two, then seven and eight. Yeah, they're great. Seven up. and eight are great. Watch Got those, me. folks. They're really dramatic. No spoilers? Yeah, no spoilers, but really ballsy and dramatic is okay. what I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, manage, really. Did you manage to find a split field diopter? <laughs> In fact, I probably did use a split field diopter at one point. Yeah, I'm glad you remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good one. Amandla? Amandla, go away too.